hello and welcome to NHASED Spotlight, our regular podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carosa, co-executive director of NHASED. Hey, before I introduce our guests today, I want to remind our listeners of our conference series this year, which we're conducting in partnership with the New Hampshire Association of School Principals. Coming up very soon on September 22nd, uh, we're talking about students who struggle and how they belong uh, in our schools and helping all of us figure out how to support the needs of those who are behaviorally dysregulated uh, to ensure they feel safe and connected to their school community. We have uh, actually three guests during that conference, Polly Bath, Michael McSheehan, and Emily Reed Daniels. All are pretty well known on uh, topics such as uh, trauma for kids, um, obviously behavior management, that sort of thing. So that's September 22nd. Uh, a recent uh, podcast I just recorded yesterday was with Dr. Tom Herr. Uh, he is coming in to uh, deal with empathy, uh, uh, empathy and leadership. So this particular conference on October 18th is really for anybody who considers himself a leader, whether they're a principal, assistant principal, a, um, a teacher leader, maybe you run a PLC or a department chair, whatever it is. We'd love to have you there. That's October 18th, Tom Herr. And then uh, coming into 2023, uh, Dr. Jim Knight is coming January 26th. He's an instructional coach, and uh, he's talking about the seven success factors for great instructional coaching, which I know my friend Steve LaBelle knows a lot about. So uh, we have three um, great conferences coming up to register. Just go to nhasd.org. Um, be sure to follow us on uh, social media. We're on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and I have the, the links. And it'd be pretty hard not to know how to register for any one of our, our conferences. So um, I also want to mention that, as I kind of just mentioned just now, Steve LaBelle, who is our NHASCD president, is joining me as co-host today. Steve, how are you? Hi, doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm real good. good. Spent a day in another school district today, so I've been with uh, teachers all day, which uh, is really a, a great place to be, in, in my opinion. So um, to talk about uh, our podcast today, uh, one of the more sensitive topics I think in our country today, and even in New Hampshire, um, are the rights of LGBTQ plus youngsters, students in our schools, not just in high school, but but younger as well. Uh, surely our political climate, our election season, today actually as we're recording this is a primary day, uh, brings heightened attention to these kids in terms of what our schools should teach regarding sexuality, gender identity, and so on. But at the core, no matter how anyone listening to this podcast feels about these issues, we have young people who simply need support as they navigate a time in their lives that's real difficult for everyone. My wife and I raised three teenagers who are not, uh, we're not in the LGBTQ plus um, area, but boy, they faced great obstacles themselves just as being teenagers. So uh, those in the LGBTQ plus grouping clearly face greater obstacles to acceptance in the, for the most part than the majority of kids. So uh, there are educators though, who wanna reach out to these students within our schools, especially around um, GSAs or gay straight alliances. So our guests today are, are two individuals, Rochelle Samard, she's a GSA advisor and also art teacher at West High School in Manchester, New Hampshire, and also Anna Barrett, who is a paraeducator at Sauhegan High School uh, in Amherst, New Hampshire. And uh, my buddy, Steve here on the podcast and instructional coach also at Sauhegan. Uh, thank all three of you for being here today and taking some time. You're not really at Sauhegan, I'm sorry. See, the nice thing about Zoom is I see your face. You're in the Amherst yes. School District, but not at Sauhegan. <laughs> you're not a high school dude. No, no, no. No, no, you're at the uh, at the middle school. So anyway, uh, thank you again for, for being here. I really appreciate your time. Um, so 
start with you, Rochelle. Talk about what a GSA is for those of us who don't know and maybe a little history of the origins and the type of things you do uh, as an advisor for a GSA. Sure. Um, thank you, Bill. I, um, I can't speak necessarily to the origin or the exact history of a GSA and when it started. Um, I can say that, you know, over 20 years ago, there were GSAs in schools, um, but they were very minimal and probably more so in um, larger cities, um, especially with somebody driving that force. They weren't um, implemented um, by administration. So it was somebody who had the drive or most likely maybe even identified in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, GSAs have been around for years. Um, they initially called G, um, Gay Straight Alliance. I believe that the name actually, the acronym has changed and I couldn't, I couldn't quote the, but I think it's gender, it has something to do with gender. Um, and so it's just all encompassing a greater umbrella. Um, but GSAs are developed in any school level, um, to help create in a place, a safe place for people to go. Initially, I think when GSA started, say when I was in high school, um, like in the 90s, they more so, uh, 90s to early 2000s, they were more just like a place for students to go and just feel like they had a room that they could be a part of and accepted. Um, and there were some small things that we used to do, but not a lot of it went outside of that room. Um, and I think for a lot of GSAs, I think that still exists in that way, um, because I think the community, there's a little bit of pushback on that. Um, but for myself, and um, maybe Anna can speak to what she might do in her GSA, but uh, for myself, um, I know that a few years ago, I said, we, I need to get out of my room. I need to stop doing things in my room. And so I didn't necessarily require students. So what I've been doing for my uh, GSA style is um, putting things out into the community and becoming a much more of a greater advocate for my students. So like a liaison for the LGBTQ plus community for guidance or teachers to come to for advice or information. So trying to speak on their behalf before it's even needed. I'm sorry. And lastly, like I think it is proven that I don't remember what the percentage is, but GSAs are probably going to save like just the, just the, um, implementation or the development of a GSA um, saves so many lives. Just the fact that kids know it's there, even if the kids don't come to your room. Right. Anna, what does it look like um, at your place in Sohegan? So at, at the school where I am, uh, clubs are typically started by students and led by students. So there has been um, a GSA in various forms. I think for like Rochelle said, about 20 years. It's looked very differently over the years. I'm trying to think, I've been involved with it about eight years or so. And even then during that time, I've seen a lot of change. Um, uh, back when I started with the school, it was almost invisible. They, they were calling themselves a diversity club, but somebody who went to the school before that tells me that they were very out and open. I've, um, in my role as advisor, you know, I, the kids are still leading, but I do a lot to try to get um, visibility. We have a bulletin board. I put up a lot of things on the bulletin board. The kids help me put things up on the bulletin boards. So to be honest, they run out of time, so they're not always doing it. Um, I've crafted some announcements. I've created a Slack channel. Um, there are tons of allies within the building, more than I realized. 
there are many who uh, who have children that are, you know, personal children that are LGBTQ somewhere in there. And if I could jump yeah. off that, um, sure. um, something that we've been doing well that I do, and I, like Anna says too, I think for me at the high school as well, to elaborate a little bit more on what the GSA can be um, is that like the students, I don't have a whole lot of follow through with the students because there's no um, cords and things like this. They come to the room, but it's not credit bearing. So they just come whenever they want to, whenever they need a space to come to. Um, and so I put a lot of labor into my organization, an after school club, um, but I do a lot of the work. So um, I make ribbons on awareness days and awareness weeks, and I have them out in the cafeteria. I put them into the teacher's mailboxes. Um, and then I always have a surplus. I just had a teacher come down to me the other day and say, do you have any flags I can put up in my room? Um, and so most of all of our classrooms have uh, some identifying flag within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and, um, and there are like Glisten New Hampshire does awareness weeks that are great and all, but um, I think that those tend to fizzle out a little bit more. One of the biggest ones is the day of silence that um, students tend to do. Our kids didn't even want to do that. So I haven't even brought it up. Um, I mean, if they brought it up, we would do it. I, I remembered where I was trying to go with this. I was talking about transparency. For some reason, I felt like I had to be so careful about my messaging for a long time. And I've lately gotten more and more transparent, maybe because I feel the community is receptive. But even in the morning announcements, I will say right in the, the morning announcements, the Gender Sexuality Alliance, also known as the GSA, welcomes LGBTQ students because I've had so many kids tell me after they graduated, we had a club like that. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even and they didn't even know it. Um, and along those lines of creating things that go into the classroom, our students created a safe space sticker. And then I worked with Jeannie Sturgis, the, the writing coach, to craft a letter explaining what is involved with displaying a safe space sticker. We've been getting up, them up all over the high school. It's wonderful. There's a lot of support. This, this is really wonderful information. Even myself, who as I identify as LGBTQ+, I'm learning things uh, through this conversation that how GSAs have a new name. Um, I guess I missed mm -hmm. that Monday memo for myself, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, I think you, you even speak of events that brought me back to my own high school days. Uh, so the day of silence back in, I remember in 1999, senior year, students participating in that, having no idea what that is. And it was just really, I appreciate you bringing up these events uh, to, to have as, as refreshers. So knowing the day of silence and having the GSA um, help our listeners understand uh, the effect of a GSA organization on young people. Rochelle, I know you mentioned just having a GSA itself is enough to save lives. Can we maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? <clears throat> yeah, so um, when any student who identifies within the LGBTQ plus community um, sees any resemblance of a safe space, such as the stickers that Anna mentioned that <clears throat> are all over our school as well, um, they, feel, they feel seen. And that visibility is super crucial to a young person's life. Um, and so we know that um, a, lot, a lot of young people that identify in the community um, can, um, there's, a, there's a larger percentage 
if they come out um, to their families or adult uh, people around them um, to be rejected or pushed away. And in that sense, then they fall into other categories of self-harm um, as well as drug use and things like this. And so when we create a space where students are visible, and this is for all identities of, of individuals that are not in the majority, um, that they feel seen um, and we actually em like embrace it and talk the talk and walk the walk and not just have a sticker on our door, we're, we're going towards a much greater inclusive school um, where kids are not going to have suicidal ideations or um, struggle with those. They're going to feel empowered and that is going to save lives because they know that somebody in that building cares for them. And they know that maybe somebody in there, they might be able to talk about their um, their gender journey or um, their identity. Um, and um, it's super impactful for our students um, as they're growing. I, I wicked agree. And I would like to add too that I'm going to go put my curriculum hat back on a little bit, but having representation in the curriculum itself is really important in the in the stories that our students are reading, even the math stories that the students are reading. Um, I know Sauhegan had a whole display case of LGBTQ plus uh, literature out by the library. I don't know, Anna, if you remember that seeing that. That was the that. GSA. That was our that GSA was did that, yeah. But that's yeah. with the help of the librarians because our our our, li <laughs> our librarians are wonderful. They're not librarians; they're information specialists, and they are just fantastic. And uh, they have stocked the library with wonderful materials, and they're very and they're they're very supportive. And they've allowed us a space every year. We put up a pride display. Yeah. I may or may have not stolen a sticker from that bulletin board display. Just saying, there was no one around. But True confessions I, I, from Steve LaBelle. The, yes, this is what it's becoming now. But I, I do feel like the GSAs are kind of that starting ground of having these conversations. Yeah, I think um, to elaborate a little bit more too, I think there's usually like in a lot of the workshops and readings that I've done, like um, we know that mid-20s gets to be that cumbersome time where somebody either feels like they're really a part of the world and so much of our K through 12 education has a lot to do with that because then we send these, these young people off into the world. And then for those few years, if they don't actually see themselves visible or um, beyond a certain age, then they might not live past that. So um, one thing that we do in our, in our what's called West for Equality, but is like a GSA is we um, are constantly trying to bring people in that are older so that they can see themselves um, in an, in a more um, mature age so that they can envision their future. And we start to have them envision their future. Like you said, Steve, like having those people in the curriculum, that's really empowerful too. So, so thinking about our, our listeners, and I'm, I know I'm going off a little bit of the questions, but we're talking a lot of, of high school. What does GSA look like in the context of a middle school what does the GSA look like in context of an elementary school? At what point does it become, is it developmentally appropriate is what I'm saying, uh, what I'm trying to get at. And I'm not saying that, I mean, we should always talk about LGBTQ+, but it needs to be at a developmental level as opposed to how you would talk about it with a high schooler is different than an elementary student. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know enough about development to really speak to that. I mean, it, my gut says, Elementary school may be a little bit young, like maybe 
they don't need their own special club, um, but they definitely need materials, representative materials and representative posters and stories at an early age, just so that they know the possibility is out there. They need to know what is possible and they don't try to fit themselves into a box that they may not fit into. Um, but middle school definitely seems to be an area of need. I have heard so often from my kids, they have so much sadness um, stemming from the middle school experiences. And um, as I told you, I have at least one student who would like to explore that at the middle school, talking about possibly getting a GSA there. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I certainly, oh, I'm sorry, Bill. No, I was just going to ask, um, what you're doing for kids is courageous and, and so it could, like you say, it could be life-saving. I'm curious, and you, you briefly mentioned this, I think both of you, what type of support do you provide for teachers? Because, you know, as you know, they may get you for an hour a day or 90 minute block every other day or, or, or whatever, but uh, what type of support can you provide to teachers? And maybe some, some actual stories of where you've helped a teacher who may not have been comfortable with, you know, with the topic or even with those, with those children, those kids. Rochelle, we'll start with you. Um, I probably have a lot, um, but I, um, I will definitely say that, um, and uh, along those lines, like if you, if somebody can't put that time aside after school or doesn't feel like they want to develop a club per se, but what they can do and what you just said, Bill, is like being an advocate just for the adults in the space and then sending out information so the adults are informed. Um, because if you get that kind of support, say, hey, it's no name calling week or it's, um, you know, it's pride month or whatever that occurrence is, um, national coming out day. Like if we have those types of representations and that information is being shared, then from adults, then you're, you're developing that space, even if you don't have say the club. Um, but I will say that I just, I have people come to me a lot um, in my school. I've been, I've been doing this now for like 15 years at my school. So they come to me a lot with questions. I just had somebody come to me about um, a student who doesn't identify with the, the name, their legal name on their name tag. And now we have to wear our name tags. And so coming up with the solutions and I'm that person that most people will come to when they have in somebody, when a student comes to them with that problem. Um, guidance comes to me, teachers come to me, they ask me clarifying questions. What does the Q mean in LGBTQ? And we discuss, you know, the idea of queer and questioning and where that falls in and who, you know, who, where is the actual determined answer. And, um, and I, I think it's, you have to be kind of out there enough that people feel comfortable like, wow, you're a wealth of information and they're going to come to you. But I, I probably send, uh, my staff could probably agree that I probably send like 30 emails a year on <laughs> On, um, on things. Um, but one thing I did do at the beginning of the school year is a little questionnaire that I made for them, asking their legal name and the names that they go by, their pronouns. So things as simple as that. And then their hobbies or their birthday um, and things like that. So there's other things integrated. So it's not just specific towards uh, identity. Bart. Your administrators are really pretty supportive as well, right? At both your schools? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. And they do, Good. they give me five minutes. I might do five minutes at a staff meeting and just say a little blur about there. Um, almost like a, you know, LGBTQ plus update of what's yeah. going on in the world. And, um, and, um, 
and they're really supportive in that. So Rochelle and, and Anna, just thinking about what we're talking about is going back to basics, developing a relationship with our kiddos, our students, getting to know who they are, respecting who they are, and, and, and trusting them. I, I feel like we're, we need to kind of go back to the basics almost in education for this. Yeah, that's a, ver a very first part of um, culturally sensitive classrooms and, mm -hmm. you know, acceptance for diversity is you have to know who's in front of you or who's with you. And sometimes the students themselves don't know, but, you know, as far as they do know, you get to know them. Yeah. So knowing that there, there could be a, a high percentage of people uh, supportive of the LGBTQ+, but there are some folks that are uncomfortable with this, with, with this topic. What, what are some good first steps or how would you broach this with folks that might be reluctant, scared, nervous? Were you looking for resources that they could use that they might seek out? Sure. Highly recommend PFLAG. They have they have a wonderful website. They have guides to coming out. Um, they're very helpful for people who are who have somebody in their life who's LGBTQ and who wants to learn more about it and how to support them. Um, I I would um, recommend like a lived experience. Like um, one of the biggest moments for me was um, seeing a, a student of mine that I had known since um, middle school go through transition. And that was huge for me to see them develop, evolve, mm -hmm. and become the person in which they were meant to be. And for those who don't know, like that is somebody who identifies as the um, opposite sex um, that they are given at birth. So um, that was huge for me. And as much as I had been supportive, um, watching that transformation happen and seeing that student change was undeniably one of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had because I couldn't speak to it in the length in which I can now. Um, yeah. I now have that. So I would say like literature is great. Like find adult literature that's talking about a lived experience about identity or a journey because it'll give you that empathy and that maybe that reasoning or the understanding that is uncomfortable because you don't feel it yours you know you don't identify in there so I was no for sure I was working with a team of teachers as far as looking at our uh, curriculum or their grade level curriculum and we were looking at their books we noticed that the authors were all men they were all white and we talked mm -hmm. about how can we develop representation and we looked at one unit which was around Greek mythology and I said what is really the essence here and they're like well how to identify a hero. So I said, what if we just turn it to that? What is a hero's journey? And we could include Greek mythology, but we could also include LGBTQ plus potentially, because in a sense, they're kind of going through a hero's journey. And we had this whole conversation about representation and what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and one teacher shared that her son and daughter uh, or son, came out as LGBTQ plus in high school and was experiencing bullying and was really advocating, yes, Steve is right, we should do this. Another teacher said, I no, we should not do this. I do not feel comfortable doing that. And I, I said in a respectful way, um, I said, I, I understand where you're coming from, 
but we it's important to have representation in the books. This is student first. What changed my mind, like, so I said that calmly, but in my head, I'm like, what the F are you talking about, man? Like, what are you trying to do right now? Like, I got a little angry. But then afterwards, he came back, he goes, I want to know, want to let you know that I don't have anything. I just don't understand it. I, I need to learn more. That helped change my perspective, too. And even I feel, and you can disagree with this, and I welcome that pushback, even our students, and GSAs could help with this, they may come out as non-binary. I'm thinking of one in particular. Mm-hmm. How to deal with a student, another student calling them by the wrong pronouns. Do you go back and you swear at them and you say, no, this is, these are my pronouns. Stay there. You have to know this automatically. Like, I, I feel like GSAs could help students also have conversations to educate as opposed to thinking that person's mm-hmm. coming from a negative space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there when kids say things to each other. I mean, it's not always education, but you're right. I mean, I I go back to uh, the the movie I saw about Harvey Milk, where he he was just saying, let's be encouraged to come out. The more people that come out, the more people are going to realize everybody knows somebody. They think they don't know anybody. And when you when you have that connection, when you know that you know someone it just makes it more relevant and more and more real and and personal and relatable. Yeah, I, I've seen that. You know, in New Hampshire, it's not a ton of diversity. It's certainly, in terms of ethnicity, right? Um, I, I've seen that with uh, individuals who became friends with of people of different races. Suddenly, they understood where they were coming from much greater. I maybe I'm naive, but I don't see this as a whole lot different. I think adults and kids just need to hang with each other and understand each other a little bit and. Um, you know, at the core, it's not it's not complicated, but I think our society has made it complicated. And so therefore, we have to, to deal with that. I'm always curious about personal stories. So could the two of you just talk about, you know, what led you to work with LGBTQ plus kids and, and the, the GSA? Um, you know, what what was your why is it your passion at this point? Um, Rochelle, we'll start with you. Yeah, I have to I have to say a thought though before I go into my personal story because um a lot just went on and I just wanted to add that like making common language within your schools, elementary, middle school, high school is super important. So things like pronouns, writing them on your board, putting them on your email signature, they're noticed. And as much as it might feel awkward and uncomfortable to do it, you just have to write it on the board and that's one small step. And then once you move forward from that and you get your staff to do it. Those can that can be a common language, and those are places and small steps that everybody can take to create that space because we know that it's identified for them. Um, and then um, I just wanted to going back to like building a GSA within that because I've been like holding on to my tongue here. But um, in the elementary, I think like Steve said, it's literature and making representation and telling stories, and also in in middle school and elementary, getting rid of the gender binary as much as you can creates that safer place for people to go through that journey without um, it being talked about identity, but allowing them to do it without them being pigeonholed into um, let's separate everybody into boys and girls. That grouping is really traumatic for a lot of our students. Um, so that, thank you. Um, now my personal story. Um, well, when I was in, I went, I went to the high school that I work at now. Um, and, um, 
my, I have a twin sister and my twin sister is um, a, a non-binary um, queer individual. Um, and um, when I was in high school, I never understood why people would ever be mean to each other. I couldn't grasp this idea of hate. Um, and uh, when uh, we were growing up, my, you know, one of the times uh, that my sister and I went to New York City when we were like in our late teens and um, the HRC, which is a human rights campaign, they were doing campaigning and they came up and they were like, hey, do you want to donate? And we were like, who are you? And they were like, we are the leading fighter for um, gay rights. And I was like, took like all the cash out of my pockets and just like gave it to them, right? And that was monumental, my sister tells me from that moment. And so I thought like, when I went to the high school, I always used like, like I always specified that there were identities in my family that belong in the LGBTQ plus community to um, let them know that um, I'm not experienced, but like I have a space that I, somebody that I love um, that belongs in there. And, um, and then I had a teacher come up to me and was like, you should really start a GSA like that first year. Um, and somebody else had already had it. And I was a part of it when I was in high school. Um, and, um, and I was like, okay, we're just going to do that. And I just got a rainbow flag and just started having after school meetings. And, and that's how it started for the most part with me. Um, I think it's the journey probably started for me with my son uh, when he was in high school, he had a lot of friends who were LGBTQ and he would tell me things about how they struggled, about some of their struggles, about some of the problems they had with other kids being recognized, even problems with, at that time, administration. It's not the current administration at all. We have a wonderful administration and we have had several wonderful administrations since then. But at that time, not so welcoming. And, um, you know, as I listened to him, I developed um, a lot of um, compassion uh, for the group and for that population. And then, so when, uh, at one, when I found out there was an organization, I was very interested. And um, at some point I joined, just, I just started going to meetings just to be helpful. And I had to open my eyes to not just gay and lesbian, but you know, the whole rainbow, which I really wasn't aware of uh, trans individuals so much. Like I just didn't, that was new to me and I had to educate myself. Um, and then after that, um, a close family member came out as gay. And so that was, you know, that personal connection. And it's, it's just, it's become a passion for me. That's wonderful. Great stories. I, I just wanted to take a minute to give credit to the people in my school, because I know Rochelle was saying, um, was talking about her, her role in helping her faculty come to, you know, better understanding. I feel like there are just so many knowledgeable and compassionate people at my school, but we're kind of like, um, we're all like on our own little islands doing our own thing and we're starting to get more of a common conversation going. So it's very encouraging. They don't come to me. I'm part of a, a group that is very supportive. That's great. I'm lucky that way. <laughs> we talked right. about the past. We kind of talked about the present a little bit. As we look forward to the future of GSAs and schools, what are your hopes and dreams with it? I remember one person saying to me, maybe, you know, I will support you with this because hopefully someday we won't need one. I don't think that's ever going to be true. We're talking about a minority group. So we're, we're always going to need one, even when things are perfect, because they have their own unique needs 
and issues and they need to um, have the company of one another at the very least. Um, so, but it, I think my wish is that, that there's just more acceptance, there's more visibility, there's more equity, that there's more connection between people who are working on this. That's what I would like to see. I'm a huge advocate for getting outside of the school a lot. Um, so I love to be more part and being in Manchester, we have a little bit more um, um, opportunities and programs and things. Um, and um, I would love to get outside in the community a lot more with our specific group um, and have more visibilities. I'd love to be a leader to help uh, people on like our middle school Parkside um, and elementary schools build up um, towards that and have a, have a um, connection between all three of those so that people can continue to know that they have a support group and somebody is, you know, sending them off in that support group. Um, as far as like the future, I mean, I'm really excited that this year is going to be my fifth annual pride celebration at my school, which is always open to the community. So anybody can bust their kids down. Um, the first Friday of June to our event. Um, but uh, ultimately my biggest dream is to get all staff trained to get training. I just went through a day of training. Today was a PD day and I, I love learning about how to better support my EL students, but I've never seen mandatory training for LGBTQ plus individuals. And it is time. I'm tired. We're tired of waiting. They need to have adults in buildings um, letting folks know, um, you know, and giving them the space to start asking those questions with somebody that's not in their building, and maybe they'll be more comfortable to initiate that. But it, I would really like to see a state, city, town mandated training that people, because like you said, it's learning about the students. And I think that that is so important. We cannot help and serve these students the way that we can if you don't know who they are. And that's a huge part of it. Hey, this is your opportunity to say anything that uh, maybe hasn't been said or and I just want to say I appreciate your courage and your hard work and in an area that, uh, you know, may not always be easy with your colleagues or or friends or even or even family or other other uh, parents. Um, Anna, what uh, what do you think? What's the future hold? <laughs> the future. A lot like what Rochelle was saying, I would love to see more in the community and um, yeah, I would love to see trainings. I think we, we could, we could all use trainings. I could use with trainings, you know, I mean, I'm not a member of the, of that community, of that tribe. So I would love to know more. So I, I always try to say, I'm not an expert and I want to be, I'm open, teach yeah. me, but I'm not telling the students to teach me because that's not fair. I have, I I guess ultimately my, my one last thing is um, it's really difficult. Like if you're passionate, I think that Anna and I are really passionate about um, what, you know, we're putting forth in our schools um, and, um, and how we're available for our students and our staff uh, when and if needed. But I think that reminding yourself that even if nobody responds and even if nobody shows up, it's working for somebody. And if that effort saves a life, I think it's worth it. Um, and so I send a lot of emails. I don't get a lot of replies, but I keep sending the emails. Um, and so they know that I'm that constant and consistent voice for them. And I keep doing events, even if nobody shows up, because just having it over the intercom, like you said, Anna, like the words, it's, it's just, there's, there's love there. So 
How can uh, people get a hold of you? Uh, I can put your emails in the show notes, for instance, if that would be helpful. Totally. Sure, that would be fine. Great, yeah. great. And I also, uh, and we'll talk briefly after we, I, we hit the stop button, but I want to make sure there's resources in the show notes, you know, beyond your own emails. Uh, off the top of your head, what are, where are some places, if you're an educator right now listening to this, where uh, they can go to perhaps start a GSA or, or just raise awareness? I think there's um, like GSA.org, I believe, um, but there is- There like are some yeah, GSA national and state GSA yeah. ones. Yep, and then you can register your GSA there. Um, and then GLSEN, uh, G-L-S-E-N.org, they have a bunch of resources and starter packets as well. Great. I know yeah. Santa Listen, is a chat. great resource. And I'm throwing a couple of resources in there too that are more for um, support for, um, I, yeah, I have a lot of compassion too for parents. I, you know, I get it. You find out your kid is on the spectrum and there's a lot of denial or there may sure. be acceptance if yep. it's a good thing. But, um, and I worry about kids when they tell me they're going to come. I always have a little conversation with them. Like, are you sure you're ready? Are you sure you want to do this now? If you do, go be prepared. But they're so emotional. They just kind of tend to get it out there. And then sometimes it doesn't go so well. PFLAG, hit up PFLAG. And then I loved this article written by somebody who's, uh, 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 who said, when I was younger, this is what I wish all parents knew. Yeah. Right. All right. I'll grab those when we're done from the, from the chat. We'll make sure people have them. <laughs> in the show notes. Well, my friends, thank you so much for your time. Go eat dinner now or something, right? Right. <laughs> Long day. Steve, thank you for being my uh, co-host today. Oh, thank you for having me, Bill. Thank you, Rochella. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate both of you coming on today. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for putting this together. It's it's an important topic. Good. And I, I hope it helps somebody. No doubt. Yeah. Well, for more information on NHASCD and our conference series, just head to our website, nhascd.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll get this podcast once it's produced out on uh, social media, too. Uh, our mission at NHASCD is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. Thank you all once more. You guys are awesome. Well, I'm Bill Carosa, and we'll see you next time on New Hampshire ASCD spotlight. Take care, everybody.